Hello and welcome to the Semantic Cybersecurity Brief, our weekly podcast where we discuss all things cybersecurity. I'm Dick O'Brien and joining me today are Semantic Threat Researchers Bridget O'Gorman and Candid West. In this week's podcast, we'll be discussing how hackers managed to turn up the heat on the US family by compromising their Nest thermostats, why more than 20 photo editing apps have been pulled from the Google Play Store, why Canada's top cryptocurrency exchange shut down, owing millions to its customers, and why smartwatches that help you track your children may not be as safe as you'd expect. But first, as regular listeners to this podcast will know, data breaches have been coming thick and fast in recent years, so much so that if you're a regular user of online services and you haven't been affected by a data breach at any stage, then you can consider yourself very lucky indeed. For example, a report by Risk-Based Security in November of last year found that there have been already over 3,600 breaches in 2018, with 3.6 billion records exposed. And that wasn't nearly as bad as 2017, when it estimated that around 7 billion records had been exposed. Generally speaking, when someone gets a breach notification, they're encouraged and often obliged to change their password on the affected website. However, the problem is frequently compounded by the fact that lots of people ignore best practice of using a unique password for every website and have the habit of using the same username and password combination on multiple different websites. So if you do this, it means that if one site is breached, your accounts and all of those other sites are vulnerable. That means having to change your password on all those websites and not only that, trying to even remember which sites you use that password on. In short, for a lot of people, data breaches are a bit of a minefield. So in recent years, a few services have sprung up to help people find out if they've been affected. One of the most famous of these is Troy Hunt's Have I Been Pwned, which is a database of nearly 6.5 billion credentials that have been leaked in various breaches over the years. It allows you to enter your email address or even a password you may use, and it'll tell you if that's cropped up in any of the breaches that it knows about. Now this week, another new service launched, this time from Google, which has released a new extension for its Chrome web browser, which will alert users if a password they've used has been leaked in a data breach. So the extension is called Password Checkup, and it issues an alert if it spots a username and password combination that have previously been disclosed in the breach. The user is then prompted to change their password and advised to change it on any other sites and services where they use the same password. Now, Chrome is not the first web browser to introduce such a service. Firefox implemented a similar service last year called Firefox Monitor, and it works by checking the Have I Been Pwned database and alerting users if their password appears there. But the new Chrome extension is a little bit different because it's built about a unique database of stolen credentials that Google has found on its own trawling of the web. So in order to avoid compromising users' privacy by accessing their passwords and preventing a data breach of its own, Google utilizes quite a complex process of encryption and hashing in order to match credentials while minimizing the risk of their being revealed to any unauthorized parties. So the extension has won the backing of Troy Hunt himself, who told the tech news site The Register this week that anything that drives people away from password reuse is a very positive thing. The extension is already live in the Chrome Web Store for anyone who's interested in downloading it. So let's go on and talk to Candid because he's been taking a look at quite an interesting story that broke this week where hackers managed to, quite literally, turn up the heat on a family in the US by accessing their Nest thermostats. 
Yeah, so last week, it's yet another story that emerged from that uh, family in the US, which had a quite unpleasant experience with the smart gadgets at home. So according to a news article, the family had just put their baby to sleep when they started hearing some strange noise in the same room. And a male voice started talking to the baby through their Nest security camera. So after the initial shock, they then moved the baby to a different room, which was followed by the attacker cursing at them through yet another connected camera. So that's already bad, but then the attacker also increased the temperature settings of the thermostat to a cozy 90 degrees Fahrenheit, so that's around 32 degrees Celsius. Of course, luckily, the heating can't be turned to the point where it catches fire, but if it's done over a vacation break, it could definitely cost you some money without you even noticing it, right? And the frightened user uh, now wants to return all his 16 security camera and two thermostats and, of course, demands a refund for all, his, um, all of these devices. And this story comes after a few similar stories over the last few months. I mean, in one instance, the attackers broadcast an alert message uh, telling a mother and her son that there were some incoming intercontinental ballistic missiles uh, launched from North Korea heading their way. And of course, the voice strongly suggested to evacuate uh, in the next three hours before it's too late. And I guess you can imagine the shock and the chaos such a broadcast can generate. Yeah, this isn't the first time this sort of thing has happened. And I remember there's been a lot of stories um, in the past about people interfering with baby monitors and uh, security cameras and what have you. So how did the attackers get access to the smart devices this time around? So all of these stories seem to have one thing in common, that is the attacker were able to remotely log into the account of the security camera. And these connected cameras can not only be used to view what's happening inside your house, but they can also be used to broadcast voice messages to the individual rooms. And of course, we guess it's most likely that the attackers were just reusing passwords that were leaked during any of those previous data breaches, as we just alluded earlier in the podcast. So these so-called password stuffing attacks where credential pairs are tried out on all major websites are very common for the attackers and also very easy to conduct because there are ready-made tools available for this. So it's yet just another highlight that many users still don't, um, don't change passwords and still use the same passwords for most of their accounts and rarely change it. Yeah, this is very true. Like last year, our um, Norton Cybersecurity Insights report showed, I think it was 60% of survey people shared some passwords across all of their accounts and 25% of people said they only had one password for every account they had. And um, for this year's Safe Internet Day, Google did a similar study where they found that two out of three people said they share passwords across multiple accounts. Yes, exactly. I mean, reusing passwords is definitely still a huge problem. And let's hope that the browser extension helps a little bit with this. But we should definitely point out that Google, who owns the Nest brand, uh, made it clear that the company itself was actually not breached. So in fact, the Google security team did analyze user data leaked by any of those data breaches in the past. And whenever they discovered that users had to use the same credentials for their Nest platform, they would then alert the user and tell them to change the password and enable two-factor authentication. So this is actually quite a common practice by a few of the big companies out there, which do this regularly when they find any big data breach being published. But of course, 
it is very much debatable if this alerting is really the job of the vendor. I mean, the process of checking for all the known data breaches from other companies and then see if their own user base use the same credentials over multiple accounts. Not even to mention that some data breaches remain hidden for quite a long time, and we all know that weak passwords can be brute forced with dictionary attacks as well. So therefore, probably as always, and we've said it multiple times before, use unique passwords for different services, uh, use the help of a password manager if you can't remember all of them, and use a token or enable two-factor authentication where possible. Yeah, that's some good advice there. Thanks, Condit. Now, for something quite different, uh, the price of beauty um, is often written about, I suppose, in the sense of the price of various products and procedures. But news this week shows that the price of beauty for those online may be their privacy and annoying ads. Yeah, so we're referring here to news during the week that Google removed 29 photo editing and beauty apps from its Play Store after uh, it was discovered that they were carrying out malicious activity. So now these apps would pretend to allow users to carry out various photo editing and so-called beautifying kind of effects and activities, including you know applying filters to photos, making your face into emoji characters, or just adding kind of artistic effects to your photos. Um, so Trend blogged about these apps and said that a large number of the downloads of these malicious apps originated in Asia and particularly in India, seems to be the primary target. Okay, and so what exactly did the apps do once they got onto people's phones? Um, a lot of them carried out kind of the fairly standard malicious app activity that we kind of see all the time with malicious mobile apps. So pushing full screen ads when users unlocked their devices, including in this case for malicious websites as well, such as those that contained fraudulent or pornographic content. And some of the apps also directed users to phishing websites where they would then be asked to provide personal information like their names and addresses and their phone number, which could then obviously be used in you know, subsequent attacks against them probably. Um, and it would also not be clear to the user where this annoying content on their phone was coming from. Um, it wasn't clear it was coming from these apps. So they may not have realized that, the, that these pop-ups were coming from the actual app in question. And then even if they did realize, uh, many of these apps made it quite difficult to remove them. So they hid their icons from the application list. So users weren't able to just, you know, drag and delete them and get them off their phone that way. And as well as that then as well, many of the apps also use packers uh, so that they couldn't be analyzed. So they were kind of stealthy enough in that sense. As well as that, then some of the apps and um, some of the beautifying effects ones that allow you to add filters, you know, to make your face look thinner, your eyes look bigger, that kind of thing. And um, they uploaded user photos to an external server to edit them. But then the user never actually received the edited photo. Instead, they just were constantly sent a fake update prompt and um, which they were you know, told they had to apply before they could get their photo back. Um, but then obviously if they clicked through, it just simply brought them to a phishing site and they never did get the edited photo. But I suppose the more worrying part with those apps um, is that the app authors are, you know, obviously collecting these user photos, um, which then could potentially be used in the future for other malicious purposes, like setting up fake social media accounts or fake dating profiles or things like that to carry out, I suppose, attacks, again, potentially on other people. 
And these apps have been removed now from the Google Play Store, but they did get um, a lot of pickup before they were taken down. They were downloaded more than 4 million times between all of them, with three of the apps downloaded around a million times each. And then there was another app that was downloaded more than half a million times, and then another seven that were downloaded more than 100,000 times. So they got they were downloaded quite a lot before they were removed from the store. And I suppose the fact that these apps were present on the Google Play Store also just shows that even if an app is in an official app store, you do still need to be cautious because it isn't necessarily a guarantee that it is legitimate, that Ill- illegitimate apps you know, can sneak through onto the official Play Stores. So I suppose the advice there would be to stick to downloading from the well-known kind of brands as much as possible. I'd always read the reviews as well, especially the negative ones, because of course, often these malicious app authors um, create a lot of fake accounts to write positive reviews for their apps so it's probably in the negative reviews that you'll actually get the, the true purpose of them Yeah, God, those sound awful that's going to lessen the temptation for me to touch up my photos <laughs> um, OK, let's go back to Candid because there's been um, some ups and downs in the cryptocurrency world this week well, even more so than usual because one exchange lost access to around $146 million worth of cryptocurrencies while Zcash then, meanwhile, patched quite a serious vulnerability. What's been going on, Candid? Yeah, so let's start with the Canadian crypto exchange Quadriga CX, uh, which caused a lot of headaches for its investors this week. Um, so the story is actually quite strange, and a lot of the details are still unknown or unclear at the current moment. But allegedly, the CEO, Gary Cotton, died in India last December uh, at the age of 30. And after a few weeks, the notice of its death actually started to uh, trigger some panic among the investors. And people, of course, then started to withdraw funds from the crypto exchange, which then led into a few new problems as not all of the withdrawal requests could actually be made. So the exchange struggled with liquidity uh, and due to the issues then asked the users to be patient. But in the end, the exchange actually now filed for credit protection uh, after all. So according to information being circulated, the exchange was unable to meet fund withdrawals requests due to inability to access the crypto funds held in the cold storage offline wallet. So access to that cold wallet is allegedly only possible via the private keys known to the CEO, which is now deceased. So it's reported that there are crypto coins worth of the 145 million US dollars stored on this encrypted laptop without any proper means of accessing them. So as said, a lot is still unclear and of course concerned customers have started to speculate that it might be an elaborated exit scheme where a fictitious death was kind of put in there as a reason, or maybe it's simply recklessness in access control management. We do not really know the truth yet, but once more it shows that virtual coins can definitely evaporate rapidly if you're unlucky. And I mean, similar as to previous stories that we uh, talked about, if you keep cryptocurrencies online in a hot wallet, uh, like an exchange, then you have to be aware that there is the risk that these exchange servers might get hacked and you could lose all of your crypto coins. There have been over a dozen of those hacks in the past and we talked about a few of those in the podcast. On the other hand, offline storage with cold wallets is definitely more secure, but not really practical if you want to do day-to-day trading. Um, And of course also, 
as this example shows, you might need to think about the contingency plan for your crypto coin wallets uh, yourself, because maybe even add some privacy key or something into your last will. Else, your inheritor will probably not be able to enjoy the crypto coins and your funds will be added to the huge pile of lost coins. So I guess in short, whatever you do, you should be aware of the corresponding risks and choose depending on your preferences. It sounds like we haven't really heard the last of this one yet and haven't gotten to the bottom of exactly what happened. But regardless of what did happen, surely um, leaving uh, the password or access to that amount of funds in the hands of just one person is, uh, you know, some kind of flaw in the exchange's design. Um, now, the other story uh, about cryptocurrencies that cropped up this week is uh, kind of the opposite of what happened. We've gone from disappearing coins to creating coins. Uh, what, what happened here? Yeah, so with Zcash, uh, which is one of the many digital currencies with a special focus on privacy, um, they had a tough week as well. So they announced that they patched a serious vulnerability in the algorithm behind the crypto coin. So this vulnerability would have allowed an attacker to generate coins out of thin air. And I mean, we're talking about without the hassle of solving difficult math problems, uh, also known as mining. So any attacker could have literally printed an infinite amount of virtual money in their account. Uh, the ZeroCoin Electric Coin Company, which is the consortium behind uh, Zcash, mentioned in their blog that an employee discovered the vulnerability in March 2018 and that they then patched it in October last year. And of course, they kept it secret in order to ensure that no one else could misuse it. And they did not find any evidence that anyone took actually advantage of this sad vulnerability. But the problem was um, kind of in a mistake how the mathematical algorithm was used, which would then allow any attacker to bypass a validation proof, which was included in the multi-party computation transcript. So Again, it would allow someone to generate coins without doing the proper validation and uh, mathematical operations uh, to begin with. And of course, the value of Zcash um, actually dropped 5% today. But then again, so did Bitcoin. So it might not be related to this news. Um, we will see if they catch up and uh, get back to the normal heights. And of course, Zcash is not the first cryptocurrency uh, which had such an issue. For example, Verge had a similar issue uh, in August last year, and probably there won't be the last one either. So, I mean, we'll have to see what happens in the future. I guess it just shows that there are still a few bugs hidden inside the implementations of cryptocurrencies as well. Yeah, I can imagine it was a very nervous few months for the people at Zcash between finding the vulnerability and patching it, lest uh, anybody else find out about it. Um, now, finally, before we go, uh, Bridget, there was some worrying news for privacy and safety conscious parents in the news this week as well, wasn't there? Yeah, there was. So it's kind of really that if you're overly safety conscious parents, you could actually be kind of paying for that with the endangering your kids privacy it seems going by the two stories that were in the news in the last week so um first up gator branded smart watches were in the headlines again um having previously been raked over the coals for having unsecure features in their kids smart watches by security watchdogs in norway in 2017 and um, so to mark kind of the anniversary of that uh, investigation 
British InfoSec outfit Pentest Partners decided that they would check out the security of Gator branded wearables to see if things had improved in the intervening year. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, rather than finding that everything was A-OK and the things had improved, they actually found um, a pretty bad exploitable bug in the web portal that the parents used to monitor their little kids who are wearing the smartwatches. So basically, logged in parents could change their access level, so potentially allowing them to upgrade themselves to administrator level access. So if they did this, it could allow them to obtain the contact details of some 30,000 customers, as well as identify and track the location of the children using the watches. They could also cause mischief as well by doing things like changing the emails or the passwords on a given watch to then lock victims out of their devices and out of their accounts. So Pentest Partners explained that the Gator Web backend was passing the user level as a parameter so that changing the value to another number then gave people super admin access you know, throughout the platform. And the system didn't validate at all that the user had the appropriate permission to take this admin control. So it's a pretty serious flaw that could obviously be exploited you know, quite easily by malicious users or criminals out there. Um, and Pentest added that they th- do think the back end that's used by the Gator watches is likely very similar to the kind of back end used by other brands as well that provide these kind of watches. So this is an issue that could potentially exist with other brands as well. Now, Pentest did inform Tech64, which is the parent company of that produces these Gator watches, of the vulnerability, and it has since been patched last month. Um, and the company, Tech84, said that they don't actually believe anyone did exploit the bug for malicious purposes. So hopefully that is the case there. Hopefully, yeah. And what was the second story you mentioned? Yeah, so this is an interesting one too. Um, so in this case, the European Commission actually ordered the recall of a children's smartwatch as it claims it could allow malicious actors to pinpoint the wearer's location, so the child's location, and hence obviously then potentially pose a serious risk to children. So the recall was issued under the Rapid Alert System for Non-Food Products, which is known as RAPEX, and it is believed actually to be the first time that this kind of alert has been used to issue a recall related to data protection and privacy reasons. So the alert was issued against the Safe Kid One smartwatch, which is produced by a German firm called Enox. So it is marketed as a way for parents to keep an eye on their kids, and um, much like you know, obviously all the other types of smartwatches like this, and it includes things like a like a one click button, which allows um users to call a family member directly from their watch and things like that. However, the European Commission said that the product doesn't comply with the Radio Equipment Directive and that it has serious issues, saying that the mobile application accompanying the watch um, has has unencrypted communications with its backend server and the server enables unauthenticated access to data. So this means that information about things such as location history and phone numbers can be found and potentially changed and that a malicious user could send commands to any watch to make it call um, another number, a number of their choosing, and they could then communicate with the child wearing the device and even locate them through GPS. So quite serious charges um, with potentially obviously quite serious consequences. Enox, however, is disputing the findings of this test and they are appealing the recall order. Um, so we will have to see what ultimately happens there. 
Um, now these kind of stories are naturally very worrying for parents and it's not just smartwatches either that parents have had to worry about recently. I mean in the last few years we reported, we've reported on security holes and all sorts of gadgets aimed at kids from you know internet connected dolls and teddies to baby monitors as we mentioned earlier um, which has caused a lot of alarm over the years so it might be a good idea just to stick to kind of the old fashioned non-internet connected storybooks and teddy bears going forward i think yeah it might be okay all right um that is about all we have time for this week um if you've been enjoying our podcast uh please do subscribe to avoid missing out on all future episodes you can also follow us on twitter at threat intel or at medium at medium.com forward slash threat hyphen intel if you'd like to read our latest research check out our blog which can be found at semantic.com forward slash blogs forward slash threat hyphen intelligence we'll be back again next week when we'll be once again looking at what's going on in the world of cybersecurity. until then thank you and goodbye <laughs>